Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So day nine of the French Open is, well, it's not yet done and dusted because as we come to you at 10 past nine UK time, 10 past 10 local time in Paris, Pablo Carreño Buster and Daniel Altmaier are at five all in the second set. That match having been moved from the Suzanne Longland court because today was possibly, and I, I don't say this lightly, I realise it's quite a statement, but possibly the wettest day yet at Roland Garros and uh, in London for that matter. So thank goodness for the Chatrier roof and for the central heating Shea Whitaker. Um, I'm joined by by David Law, a West Brom fan that predicted Paola Bedosa would win today and by Matt Roberts, a Fulham fan that predicted Fiona Ferro would win today. What a couple of losers. Matt, <laughs> are you going to stand for this? I mean, everything she said was true. <laughs> don't, don't let her do it. Don't, honestly. Yeah, it was if, a low blow. Oh, yes, it was a low true. blow, but I, I, I've taken the low road. If being a Fulham fan has taught me anything, it's how to lose. So it's come in very, very handy in these last few days because I just keep losing at everything. David, meanwhile, has hit the whiskey. Yeah, I have actually. I've got one whiskey uh, that I've been given per show for this week and I've had three sips and I'm feeling fantastic. And they're in sort of packaging that makes it look like uh, urine samples. Thanks, (laughs) yes. That's suddenly become a little less appetising. Yeah, my sister owns a whiskey shop um, and has done for 20 years. How cool is it to have a sister who owns a whiskey shop? It's called the Weed Ram. Very, very uh, cool. Yeah, and uh, she has sent me a little supply of uh, little samples to taste. Whiskey samples. <laughs> for for the dark, dark days after your predictions have crashed and burned. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, look, I'm still riding high on my 50 points from, who was it? Sviontek. It was uh, Iga Sviontek, yeah. Bookie's joint yes. favourite to win the title. We'll talk more about her later. We'll look ahead to her 
match tomorrow and maybe even discuss what we think about the fact that people are saying she's the favourite to win this title. But should we start with probably the person who I think, yes, I'm going to say this, the person who I think probably is the favourite to win this title, and that's Petra Kvitova, the seventh Mm -hmm. seed, two-time Wimbledon champion. She beat Zhang Shui today, and there was a tiny, tiny little wobble at the end, but basically she was just in control throughout the match. The roof was closed. It was kind of ideal for her. I heard Anne Kjothevong in commentary describe Zhang Shui as a passenger in the match. She was just responding to what Petra Gvitova Gvitova was doing. Um, And it looked really, really routine. It looked like, you know, former Grand Slam champion Petra Gvitova completing a routine victory to reach another Grand Slam semi-final. And then there was this outpouring of emotion from her in the moment of victory it was really quite startling actually and and it 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 showed showed what it meant to her that wasn't just another grand slam quarter final um i was driving at the time how did that manifest itself well she, she there was a close line call on match point um and uh, i think it was inspected by the umpire it was a petra gavitova shot um, that I think just clipped the line, did did just clip the line, but it was inspected by the umpire. And even though she had a a really healthy lead in the score, it was a set and she was serving 5-4. Um, she looked so anxious and desperate to, for it to be in. Absolutely desperate. You know, just please let this be in. Please let me have, have got there. Um, and then when it was, she just looked... She looked like she was going to collapse in relief, really. And um, she spoke. She spoke uh, after the match uh, in the press conference about why it was so emotional for her, and she said, "This was the court where I made my comeback after oh, wow. after the after the attack that that happened to her in her home. She that had happened to her in December twenty fifteen, sixteen, and then." 2016 and then in May of 2017 which was far sooner than anybody thought and she she still didn't have full sensation in her hand she still had a a big scar in May of 2017 she made her comeback on the Philippe Chatrier court kind of with no expectation and an attitude of well I've got to start somewhere um and I it's 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 all too easy I think for the covet of a comeback story to to fade a bit because she's already reached a Grand Slam final. It feels like we sort of told most of it already. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't warrant retelling. And if she were if she were actually to win this title, it would be one of the greatest sporting comebacks of all time, I think. Mm. And it doesn't m- mean that it doesn't still affect her, uh, as as you say, just because it's been a few years and because we... You know she's she's managed to already make the comeback. Um, wow, that's really cool. She's um, she is a, a real contender for this title. I was just looking up that her best French Open was 2012 when she reached the semi-finals. One thing that interests me is is what happens with the weather conditions from here because from what Russell Fuller, uh, our BBC correspondent, was saying, who's out there in a couple of days' time, they're expecting glorious sunshine. So. That's going to be quite interesting, isn't it? Just to see how that impacts things because she's been doing so well with it being indoors and we could have a very different looking tournament in a day or two. 
Yeah, she hasn't lost a set so far, and she's one of the few players who has absolutely no trouble hitting through this very slow, heavy clay whatsoever. And I was looking, she's won quite a few titles on clay, I think maybe five in total. So she's she's absolutely no mug on clay. I just don't think of her as a clay court player because she's so strong on other surfaces. Um, but I think she has to kind of make herself believe a little bit more that she can play on clay. I don't think the confidence is right right there with her when she steps on that surface. She kind of has to have the results to give her the confidence rather than starting with the confidence and getting the and getting the results. It's a it's a bit of a process for her on clay, I think, but she seems to be in that place now and um, you know, as one of only two players remaining in the draw who knows knows what it's like to win a Grand Slam title. I agree. She she certainly has to be right towards the top of the list of favourites left in this tournament. It it almost feels a redundant word now, favourite, because I feel like uh, if someone is a true favourite, it should be fairly obvious that they're the favourite. But you can't really say that about anyone at the moment. So I think she's sort of slightly more favoured than most of the people remaining in the draw, but she doesn't really feel like a favourite just because of how open it is and how many upsets there have been. But she's playing very well. She's she's got more confidence than she had at the start of the week. And um, yeah, it was, it was such a poignant moment. And I kind of went back to what you were saying the other day, Catherine, about Amanda Anisimova kind of going back to the place where she had this previous experience and and all the emotions that come with that and I just think I just think it was really overwhelming for for her today because she thought when she made this comeback that she probably never would reach these kind of stages again and just because as you said she has reached an Australian Open final doesn't mean that she doesn't think back to how she was feeling in that very moment on Philippe Chatrier and particularly being there all those emotions just came back and she said it's been a long ride and um, I think it would be a very, very popular outcome if she wins this tournament. I think there would be an outpouring of goodwill from kind of everyone in the tennis tennis world. I mean, there was an outpouring of goodwill from Zhang Shui at the net after Kvitova had just, just thrashed her. <laughs> they clearly, uh, I think they're pretty close. Mm. Um, and, you know, they are good eggs both of those two everybody likes them everybody speaks well about them and and is friends with them in the locker room and uh, there was a lovely look between them just when they went to the net the the just one of those looks where you just think actually this is this is not such a bad place to be right now watching sport played in good spirit really impressively and uh, and having a result like that and then david you watched paula bedosa lose Yes, I did. Um, and uh, actually, I don't feel quite so bad about it now that also Martin Fuchovic also lost to Andre Rublev, which was the other one that I was considering. So, you know, <laughs> I, was, I just got everything wrong. <laughs> so that's all right. Um, but yeah, lost to Laura Zygmunt, who is just so impressive this fortnight because I don't, I never, ever thought I would see her in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. And I mean, look, she's a really good i always think of her as a sort of business-like player you know she just gets business done and whoever gets in her way she's going to stomp them out the way best she can but she's got limitations and yet here she is just taking advantage of this weird 
situation and these draws that aren't necessarily going the way everybody thinks and the, the circumstances of playing a Grand Slam in October. And some players are just picking that up and saying, I don't care. I'm going to make the best of that. And, she, and I, I noticed, I mean, I was watching the other day when she was, I think, a, certainly a set and maybe a, maybe a break as well down against Yulia Gerges, her countrywoman, who's a much bigger hitter and a much more kind of celebrated player and hyped player in Germany. And yet Zygmunt just... Stuck in, sorted her out, won the match, and it was a very cursory racket tap at the end. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Zygmunt's the most popular player in the locker room, but she's no, she's no Kvitova or Zheng Shui, but she's in the blooming last eight. And I think if she ever were going to reach a Grand Slam quarterfinal or perform this well in a Slam, I think most people thought again that it would have come in that 2017. French Open, which she entered, I think, having won Stuttgart on the clay. And then she suffered a terrible knee injury in Nuremberg. And mm. I, th- I think it might have taken her out for the whole season or something. And it was it was really quite bad. And kind of that was her chance. To, so to see her sort of seize this opportunity, as you said, David, is um, is very impressive. It was a slightly bizarre match. She took several deliveries of food during the mm. match. Oh, yeah. And ate them with, you know, with a fork while Badosa was having a medical timeout because mm. she said that she'd... She had a three-course meal. Yeah, it was... <laughs> she was getting all sorts of carbs delivered and just tucking into them and... She had, she had a banana, a bowl of sort of pad thai and a couple of cereal bars. Mm. And she, collect, she collected... she collected the 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 Most of it from, like, a, a brown bag was brought courtside. Yeah, it was like like she like, like she delivered like Uber Eats or something. Yeah, yeah. and um, if either of those companies want to <laughs> sponsor me and free up some of uh, the disposable income that I'm spending on both of them, that that would be great. <laughs> but, but she did say the reason for doing it was that there's talk of some kind of stomach bug going around the players. Team was talking about this in German yesterday, saying that he'd had some problems. And she said that she couldn't eat in the morning. She couldn't keep anything down. And um, so she needed some kind of energy during the match. And... She got her second wind during an injury timeout. I love that. Sort of like, oi, Paola, look, I feel great. I'm having a meal. I'm going to run you ragged. <laughs> yeah, it was It was really weird. Sometimes you get see people getting, you know, like weird looking fluids delivered to the court, but never like a pot noodle. <laughs> and I quite enjoyed the umpire, John Blom, saying, well, that was all a bit weird, wasn't it? I've never seen that before in my many years of umpiring. And <laughs> Ziegman, I think, thought maybe he was accusing her of doing something, you know, that is against the rules. And she said, no, I just I just needed to eat. If she if she did commit a, a an ethical um, misdemeanor against Kristina Mladenovic in the second round, then at least it's fair to say that it, it wasn't for nothing. She certainly kind of justified doing that. Um, you know, certainly you could look at it that way. Mm. Mm. No one's looking at it that way. Okay, then. Um, next on to the Chatrier court was David Stefanos Tsitsipas and Grigor mm. Dimitrov, a match that I think you commentated on pretty much 
pretty much in full. And straight sets victory for for Sitsipas. One thrilling set. But yeah. overall, I did. I did that one actually. That, I mean, because I was there throughout, but I commentated on that second set, and it was just fantastic. Eleven nine tiebreak. Um, by that time, Sitsipas was already a set up, and Dimitrov just stayed with him, and it was it was really interesting because a, a number of thoughts came to me throughout that match, and. and some of them a little bit sad, really, about about how Dimitrov just has got passed by a little by these guys. We saw it against Shapovalov the other week when he lost to him, and and here was Sitsipas. They're playing for the first time, and for the the first thing I noticed was just the sheer physical difference between the two of them stood side by side. Sitsipas towered above him, just the way he towered above Federer when they played in 2019 at the Australian Open. He's got these Kotanga shoulders, and he's just you know. He's a, just a big lad, but and yet he can move as well. And generally speaking, he just his his natural game, his natural rallying ball was too powerful for for Dimitrov, who could stay with him if he redlined it and with his athleticism, um, but only if he pushed the limits. And that's that was the difference between them, really, in the course of the match overall. I thought, but. The the second set was brilliant, and Dimitrov had a, a couple of set points. I was commentating with Mars McLagan, and he kept on. He'd be watching these rallies and really enjoying them, and then Dimitrov would make some shot selection out of nowhere, and Miles would just sort of throw his arms up like, "Why have you gone for that?" You know, and, and once in a while they would come off, and a lot of the time they were just these outrageous drop shot attempts where he's not just tried to play a short backhand to bring an opponent in. He's literally tried to kill it dead and bounce it back over the si- his own side of the net. It's so heavily spun. And several of them hit the top of the net. Then there were several rallies where he set himself up with a big break point chance and a rallying ball would go long. And And it was just... It felt like a bit of a microcosm of his career because he was the highlight reel for a lot of the match and yet he lost in straight sets. And uh, and Sitsipas, for the most part, looked very, very good. Make me feel a bit sad, David. I, I felt a bit sad, mm. to be honest, Catherine, because we, you know, Dimitrov will forever be linked to this show because <laughs> when we started in 2012, he was the man we were hyping up first. He was the man we were most excited about. He was our about, first new failed guy. prediction. Yeah, and I, um, I was saying, oh, absolutely. No. Many Serena Williams in show sense. one, I think, was your first failed no, prediction. I, no, yeah, yeah, mine. You're right. You're right. I accept that. Um, and if anybody's in any doubt, just go to our double bill of the worst tennis predictions ever, tennis podcast predictions ever, which are in the archive from a few months back. But um, I mean, we were partially. I said to Mars, we we were part of the the problem that Dimitrov had in terms of building this hype that he also bought into and people calling him baby fed and all this sort of thing. Um, and it's what got everybody excited about him. And unfortunately that he just wasn't quite good enough. Um, I don't, I don't know how much more he could have done about it. Really. I think we, we just slightly overestimated him. Oh, that's bleak. <laughs> I mean, you could also say he came along at kind of the wrong time. 
I think yeah. no, well, he no did. one yeah. has expected the last eight years to go as they have done in terms of mainly Djokovic and Nadal carrying on and their longevity and you'd have to say Federer as well and I don't know I just think if he was if he was coming through now with this game kind of like Sitsipas that Sitsipas's future seems so bright partly because of how good he is but partly because of the age he is and the, the players who are just not you know for sure are not going to be in his way in five years time and lack of mental scar well, exactly. tissue as well he yeah. built up so much scar tissue so early Mm. And, and actually, the, the other thing we were talking about with Mars about was the fact that what these three people have done has suddenly become normal to us, 17, 19 and 20 Grand Slams. And back in in 2000, Pete Sampras broke Roy Emerson's record of 12, you know, and that felt like a big deal because it hadn't been done in more than 30 years. Uh, and that stood for nine years, Pete Sampras's record of 14. Um and then that was broken, and it's been broken three times. So it's not really fair to compare some some of these players to to those three. And and Dimitrov was playing with all of them at their peaks. We've um, we've reviewed Sitsipas's tennis performance. Could we have a little summary, Matt, of his post match interview uh, performance <laughs> and the exact levels of weird? Well, I've decided that. The most difficult job at the French Open this year is being the translator of Sitsipas's interviews <laughs> because, you know, you'll ask just a perfectly normal question and he will take it in all sorts of Sitsipas directions. And then you're having to translate that back into French for the crowd who, to be honest, have probably understood quite a lot of it anyway in English, but... Don't need to hear that again. They kind of insist on <laughs> on doing the translation. Um he was asked quite a lot about his eye because he's got some kind of issue where in each match he seems to be getting an irritation in his left eye. Certainly in the first match, I know he took eye drops. I think he did again today, maybe in another match as well. And he keeps rubbing it and he's just making it redder and redder as the match oh, goes on. Oh, but that's what happens, Oh, Matt. for sure, Everyone for sure. tells you don't rub your eyes and all you can do is rub your eyes and you know you're making it worse and you hate yourself <laughs> and doctors are shouting at you and it's just... It's all bad. Yeah, I'm quite impressed he's managing to play so well with an eye irritation. I would, well, I would definitely not be able to play anywhere near my normal level with an eye irritation. It, it, and it seems quite bad. Uh, and, he, and he doesn't know what's causing it at all. So that's slightly concerning. Um, I'm really anxious on his behalf about the eye problem. Mm. And I'm so impressed. Yeah. That, I mean, even the most minor eye irritation is debilitating really even if it's mm. not serious i'm i'm mega impressed that he's doing this but yeah his eyes are his new shoes it used to be a, a trainer problem in every match and now it's an eye problem in every match where's leander oh, pays yeah, when you shoes. need him <laughs> i've forgotten the shoes oh. yeah so so sits pass was 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 a little bit bizarre in the post-match interview i quite i quite enjoyed his post-match press conference or or whatever interview he did that karen kraus wrote up in the new york times talking about how when he was a kid he used to have a, a facebook page which he turned into kind of like a a tennis reporting service 
when he was 11 years old and he would follow all the results of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, all of these guys and he would write up reports about them all and try to be really objective if he could even though he was a Federer fan he said I really tried to be he says I know that's your 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 job you have to try to be really objective about these things and um and uh, she did the story about what it's like trying to interview tennis players virtually as opposed to in person and uh, and just getting the players versions of events as to what it's like to to be on the other end of it and he was just he was just so so interesting that, that he's he's fascinated by journalism and reporting and asking questions and he really's clearly thought about this very intensely I don't think he met to any parties did he <laughs> As a kid, no. Nah. I mean, nor did I. I'm not judging. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> empathising. I'm having another whiskey. It's happening, folks. Two whiskeys, law. We've never seen this before. I've never met two whiskeys, law. I'm. Um, I'm excited. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So Sitsipas now plays Andrei Rublev, who was a set and a breakdown to Martin Fuchovic at one stage. In fact, wasn't he a set and five two down before winning the second set 7-5 and coming through to eventually win in four sets all of which were were quite tight I have to confess I didn't see much of that match I was following it via via live scores it was over on uh, Longlen uh, and it was rain interrupted um, but Rublev now faces Sitapas for the second time since this French Open started <laughs> yes, they met on day one in a different city, and they'll meet again in the quarterfinals. I'm quite, 
I'm quite impressed with both of them, actually. And I think I really, I was really wondering whether playing in Hamburg would end up being a positive or a negative for them. And I think now they've both got to this quarterfinal match, I think it's fair to conclude it, it was a positive because the winner will get through to the semis and that would be certainly matching, if not exceeding expectations of them at the start of the tournament. Um, and I think Sitsapas just got so much confidence through winning the matches he did in Hamburg and Rublev has become so match tight. There was an incredible stat in his press conference that was put to him by a journalist that his opponent, including Fuchovic and his other opponents in this tournament, Sam Querrey and Kevin Anderson, they've served for the set against him eight times collectively in this tournament and only once have they managed to serve out the set. In those kind of key moments in the matches, Rublev is rising to them and playing his best tennis in those moments. And I think that was the story of the match today against Fuchovic because even the fourth set, Fuchovic had three set points and didn't manage to take it. And then Rublev ran away with it. So he's 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 match tough, partly because of all the matches he's won just in generally this year. But also, I think winning in, in Hamburg gave him quite a lot of confidence. So, um, yeah, just really impressive from both of them. I think a, a good tournament for Fuchovic as well. He's had some good wins and impressed. He's He's a guy who's on my list of could be better, why are they not better, kind of. He's with, in with Struff, isn't he? He's right there with Struff. Um, and I think with him, it's he, he doesn't have fangs. He doesn't have a killer instinct. He's, he's incredibly measured and balanced on the court. But I, I never see him go up gears or really completely impose himself, which is weird because he's a big, strong guy. Um, and I think Rublev was actually the one kind of with the greater firepower in that match, certainly off the forehand wing and... Uh, yeah, we'll see. Rublev obviously won in Hamburg. Just sits past serve for that match, and I think uh, I think it I think it could be very very good on when is it Wednesday? Mm. I'm so impressed with Rublev that he's doing this. Um, for a start, because of being two sets and five two down a week ago in the first round, and and still being here, he he just has an appetite for the sport that is right up there with the most. Of anybody, I think. Well, he had a, a really um, significant injury very young, didn't he? he? Had a well, had a couple. I I think a, a leg injury, and also he had a stress fracture to his to his back. Um, and he said he went through a period of depression when he was sidelined from yeah. the sport. And it, yeah, I know it's a cliche word in the year twenty twenty in particular, but he does seem to have a perspective on the sport that is unusual for someone of his age i think he is among yeah. i think among his peers who you may or may not want to call the next gen i think his perspective on the sport is probably one of one of the best actually he he um in there was a moment where the tv that we we were covering the other match at the time on chatrier and, and just at the end of the set they flashed over to 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 bring an update of him and it was the first moment in the entire six-week run that I've seen anybody wearing that line of clothing that has made me do a double take and think, oh, my word, that, that's Andre Agassi, 1990 Andre Agassi. Just looking at him in his flashes of yellow and, and all, the, all that design stuff that they've, that they've put together in order to, um, to, to pay tribute to the old Agassi outfits and, and which he helped co-design – 
And he just, I mean, look, I know facially he doesn't look anything like him, or, but just in terms of... Wise, no, or trust me, when it, sh- when it flashed up, the, the, the outfit he was wearing and the way, way his hair was and the way he was hitting the ball suddenly reminded me of Agassi back in 1990. Um, and, uh, and, but at the same time, then, then they showed his opponent and it looked like somebody's kid has brought their dad to sports day. <laughs> because you I mean you couldn't believe that they are contemporaries have how different they looked physically um I just I think Rublev is really impressive and uh and I tell you what this match is going to be so nerve shredding between these two because they they both want it so badly it's going to be amazing yeah I'm really really up for that match I just yeah, exactly, exactly. They both want it possibly too much. Someone's going to end up in a dark room crying. Somebody's going to be really upset. Um, you know what you just said, Matt, about um, Martin Fuchovic? Um, Obviously, not quite to the same extent, but after today's match against Novak Djokovic, I, I might be filing away Karen Hatchinov in a similar <clears throat> kind of category. Um, a higher grade of within that category, but um, I don't think he has the fangs. I think he, I think he, much as I described Matteo Berrettini a couple of days ago, I think his style of play is very, very good, and I think he'll have moments, and I think he'll be a solid, possibly even a solid, consistent top ten player, but. I think his style of play is a little bit out of date and I was frustrated with his his lack of fangs today. His, You know what you described about Andre Rublev having a sixth sense for the big moments and raising his level? It felt like Hatchinov had the opposite of that today because there were, there were opportunities for him. That was Djokovic's weakest performance this tournament so far. He was still very, very good, Djokovic, one in straight sets, but... He he just looked a little little bit rougher around the edges, Djokovic. He was very red in the face. I don't know whether that was to do with the roof being closed um, and the the atmospheric conditions under there. Um, but yeah, it felt like there were opportunities for Hatchinov to, at the very least, sneak a set. Um, and I felt I felt a bit underwhelmed by Hatchinov today. Am I being too harsh? That's very, very interesting. I, I, I have the same general impression of Hatchinov, I think. I actually think he might have lost his fangs. I think when he burst through in that 2018, that second half of that season, that match he played against Nadal at the US oh. Open was extraordinary. And he really raised his game in the biggest moments in that match. And then he and beat th- he beat Djokovic to win in Paris, didn't he? And, and I think you and I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing you under the bus with me here. I think both you and I in the latter stages of 2018 made very Hatchinov predictions that have aged very, very badly. At that point, he had really, really won me over as well. Absolutely. I've, I've been generally a little bit underwhelmed for the last 18 months, I suppose, with him. But I didn't get that sense today, I must say I actually thought Djokovic played really well today. I thought this was kind of just as good as he's been playing this tournament, only he was playing a better opponent. I I thought his drop shot again 
was a little bit hit and miss. He, he, he certainly dumped a few in the net, but generally as a tactic, it just really worked. It started winding Hatchnall up a little bit, I think, and just got him moving forward. And I mean, we talked about team not liking all those sprints to the net, and I think Hatchnall liked them even even less than team did. Um it's it's always a little bit frustrating when you know you get a bit of a challenger to the big three and they kind of put in the performance that Hatchinov did today. But there's just I don't know. There's just so much evidence from from years to suggest that maybe there just isn't that much that they can always do about it. This is you know they're just better. Djokovic is just better than Hatchinov, and I just think I just think he's able to take over in the biggest moments, and he's got so much experience of winning matches like this. And Hatchinov has no experience of winning matches like this against him and you know it just it just kind of told when there was a chance Djokovic has that sixth sense of how to how to raise his level and I thought Hatchinov threw quite a lot at him started fighting hard in that third set got a break point couldn't convert he's just not as good a tennis player as as Novak Djokovic and I agree the the fangs element is is probably the element that is missing and perhaps a little more variety in his game and it's kind of why I was thinking about Magnus Norman the other day. I think he's got a good good coaching relationship with with Rosengren, but I don't know, there's there is something missing from him and it didn't leave me that frustrated today, but generally in terms of his his career trajectory, I I am with you. I I, I would feel similarly to to how you feel that generally over the last two years I've been a little underwhelmed by Hatchinov based on those moments that we have seen where you just think wow he has really got something and yet I think he's he's often come across to me as a little bit too content to be where he is a little bit too placid because he's this massive guy who who just feels like he could just take you out with one punch if 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 he if you really got him angry um but he doesn't get angry it seems he he seems just he seems like a lovely bloke actually and almost a bit too nice sometimes and actually I think Rosengren for this match and f- for this period is doing something a little similar to what he did with Edmund he got him going today he got him to throw what he got at Djokovic I thought Djokovic was brilliant today personally I think he's overdoing his drop shot now I think and Miles made a very interesting point that he said he thinks he's got to be a bit careful with it because he could end up almost just subconsciously always react always sort of reverting to the drop shot and bailing out of rallies if he's not careful he could almost just instinctively start doing it when he doesn't even really think it's a good idea um and and we we kept a tally as uh, uh, today in our country box and and as to how many he would play he played well over 30 drop shots in a three set match djokovic did today now look he won in straight sets and and like i say i think his timing is absolutely there i think he's i think this is the best tennis overall this this week i know he hasn't played that many good players today was the best and i think he was probably edgy because hatchinov was pushing him but he was still too good for him. I think this is the best he's played since 2019 Australian Open so far. Um, I don't think he played this well at the Australian Open this year, for instance. I think he he fought his way through. He fought his way through in Rome. I feel like now he is measuring the ball and it's just pinging off the strings. You know, I don't think of him as a power player, but when he's timing the ball like this, the ball just does something off his forehand that... Even even players like Hatchinov are struggling to deal with. 
And it's looking very much like the next opponent for Novak Djokovic will be Pablo Carreño Busta, who leads two sets and, and four love against Daniel Altmaier now um, on the Philippe Chatrier court, which of, of course is is a rematch of the match in which Novak Djokovic got defaulted uh, in the fourth round of the US yeah. Open a few weeks ago. And I'm sure a lot will be made of that. I don't really see that as significant at all. I think the who the opponent was in that incident was not significant to the incident at all. Who know who no. knows how it features in Djokovic's mind. I'm sure he's yeah, keen to play it down, that's what but I'm I about. I would be surprised I mean, if it were a factor in the match personally. And t- today the ball ricocheted off his racket and hit a line judge in the face. A total, total accident, total freak incident. But I mean the the parallels. I mean the the how the the coincidence that that would happen in the very next Grand Slam. Now, com- totally different situation. It wasn't him who made that ball do it, but it happened. I mean, you know, unfortunately the line judge was fine and everything carried on. But it clearly made him think and feel even though it was not his fault in the slightest, just a little awkward about it and self-conscious because he kept, he kind of talked about it probably more than he needed to. And now he's playing Pablo Carrera Buster. I mean, I'd, I would be interested to know whether just in his mind, whether he's able to just put that out of his mind or not. I would have thought he would be personally. It, it feels quite irrelevant to me. Just one of those coincidences. Um, I, th- I think, Pablo Carreño Buster's only role in that incident was that he was pushing Djokovic like kind of no other opponent had. Well, I guess Kyle Edmund had a little bit at the US Open, but preceding that incident in New York, Djokovic should have won that set. And it was all part of the reason why he was upset was what Carreño Buster was was doing to him on the court. So just from a purely tennis perspective, Carreño Buster has got not much evidence, but a little bit of evidence that he stayed with Djokovic in that set and that's got to make him feel a little bit good, I'd have thought. And I also reckon he probably wants to, he would like to get a win over Djokovic kind of after that incident and kind of make people think, oh, well, maybe I would have won that match anyway. Um, Mm. I'd I'd be very, very surprised if Djokovic is at all affected by it or thinking about it. And like you say, David, he's he's kind of looking supreme. I expect he will have too much for Karenio Buster, but I, I definitely think it's a harder match for him than Altmaier would have been. I think he would rather have played Altmaier. Mm. I think yeah. I think Karenio Buster has has the ability to kind of go into the trenches a little bit with with Novak Djokovic. I just think Djokovic He's will looking be good too this good. fortnight. He is. Uh, I'm in, I'm impressed with Pablo Karenio mm. Buster so far this fortnight. Mm. He uh, that match with Altmaier was. We don't know how or why this came about, but. Uh, selected um, over the Daniel Collins on Jabur match, those t- the two singles matches that were rained off on the outside courts, and a, a decision was made that one of them would be moved to Chatrier at the end of the planned schedule, um, and that was the men's match, Corinne Buster and Altmaier, and it means that Daniel Collins and Ange Jabur now play their fourth round match as the first match on Chatrier tomorrow in a five-match schedule. We'll come on to that in a moment. And uh, Collins and Jabur, the winner of that one, will face Sophia Kennan, the Australian Open champion, in the quarterfinals. Kennan having 
having beaten Fiona Ferro in a... Was it a tussle? It was a three-set match. Ferro was so impressive in in the first set. But <laughs> that almost brought the best out of Sophia Kennan because she loves a dogfight so much. She so desperately loves a scrap. It's almost like this young French girl with all the crowd behind her having having fought back to to win the first set because she was a breakdown and then she then she just surged to take that that first set the crowd were behind her it's almost as if Sophia Kennan went right this match is right where i want it i can be the bad guy i can get down and dirty with a street fight and she just found her best tennis and found some really excellent drop shots i didn't know that she had as as light a touch on the drop shot as as I witnessed today, and it was it was so great to see her stomping around like she yeah. was. She she it was like her, wasn't it? It was like the woman that we really fell for back in January when she was behaving like that and playing like that. Um, I I just started to think, you know, because she's playing that home favorite, I think maybe that made it easier for her in her own mind to just focus on an immediate goal rather than this big macro thing of being a Grand Slam champion and what do people expect of me? She was just out there. Right. Come on, then. <laughs> I'll take you all on. And, uh, and, and so she did. And it was, I mean, I thought it was a fantastic fight back. And by the end, I mean, that third set she played, there's nothing Farrow could do. There were just winners coming off her racket, left, right, and centre. As you say, the drop shot was hit beautifully, uh, but she was. But the depth of stroke as well, she looks really dangerous. Yeah, Chris Clary said he thought it was the best he's seen Ken in play since the Australian Open in those last two sets today. And certainly, I've not watched all of her matches since the Australian Open, but to my eye, that was kind of what I felt as well. She really found her range and. The shots she was overhitting in the first set were landing in in the in the second and third set and finding the corners such a flat hit such a flat return as you said there was really nothing Ferro could do she was she was the aggressor out there um, there was a slightly bizarre incident with her dad I would say extremely bizarre <laughs> so she was warned she was she'd been warned earlier at at a change of ends by I think was it Mariana Valjevic in the chair. Yes, she, I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, she was warned by by Velivich, not a formal warning. Velivich said, your, your team, basically your dad, is saying so much from the sidelines in a language I don't understand that, that I can't keep giving it the benefit, the doubt. If it keeps going on, I'm going to have to give you a coaching warning because there's so much coming from him I'm going to have to assume that some of it must be coaching um, at least I can't rule out that some of it wouldn't be coaching um, oh so she was given this sort of soft warning about it and then Matt well then <laughs> the cameras picked up that her dad had moved positions in the stadium you know pretty empty stadium and gone to sit directly next to Emmanuel Plonk, who is Fiona Farrow's coach, you know, in the I mean, same they, they were little touching. box. They went right next to each other. It felt like the sort of biggest passive aggressive move you've ever seen. And it completely <laughs> it... coincided with the match turning around. Now, I'm not exactly sure. I think John Wertheim was reporting that the two coaches do know each other 
and that Emmanuel Planck has a different level of accreditation and is able to sit in the in the lower rungs of the stadium. And I don't know whether he invited Kenin's dad in. I doubt that. I really doubt that, but was kind of okay with it. He didn't seem particularly okay with it at the end of the match. He kind of stormed off a little bit. Um, just just a really, really bizarre thing. I'm, I'm trying to see whether Kenin was asked about it in her press conference. I, I, I'm... I'm very sad that the cameras didn't pick up the moment that he went to sit there because from what I could see, Emmanuel Plonk was on the end of a row. So Sophie Kenny's dad would have had to shuffle past him <laughs> to take his seat. He might even have had to ask him to stand up, you know, like in the cinema and you go, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether he was invited. The only reason I say this is because right at the end of the match, I did catch just a little bit of eye contact between the two, and it did seem to me okay. as though they knew each other. Um, and I, I don't, I, I've never heard them talk to each other or anything like this. But just there was just a little bit of an acknowledgement from one to the but other. Even if you know someone, felt... though, you social protocol. I mean, even COVID aside, it's not even start get started on that. Is a seat in between. It's like I mean, sitting next look, to someone yeah. on the tube when the tube is empty. Absolute yeah, no, no. There's no. There's no question. Unless it, you're lovers, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to start a rumour. <laughs> there's no question that that when I saw saw that picture, I was like, "Why is he sat there?" <laughs> I found I found the transcript and another layer to this. Kenan has said she doesn't know why. Pharaoh's coach was sat where he was sitting because because she thought that that section was reserved for the higher seed, which is her. <laughs> um, and and she said, I mean, my dad sat there. He tried to help me, so I'm not going to. I don't really know what I can say about Ooh. that. And then the follow up question is, how do you mean he helped you? And Kenan said, I mean, motivating me, helping me when I was losing. Obviously, he's not telling me tactics, which is what the umpire thought was happening. Um, he wasn't coaching me. It was just motivation. Um, right. So it, it, it rumbles on. I'm quite keen to watch Kenan's next match now. And if she's down, whether this happens again, whether this is, P- this is a tactic. Particularly if it's against Danielle Collins, because she's not standing for that. <laughs> no. Oh, imagine. Just imagine. I with, am imagining with, with it. Al, I want it. Nicholas Almagro sat there, <laughs> the new coach of Daniel Collins, and he's suddenly like, what are you doing? <laughs> I I love Ons She's one of my favourite players to watch, but I want Kenin Collins. I want it fed to me on an intravenous drip immediately. Oh, that would be amazing, yeah. those two. So much stomping. Which match is going to have the more intensity out of that and Sitsipas Rublev? Oh. I mean, imagine those two matches back to back. I'm not going to be. I'm, we're, we're, I'm going to need to take my whiskey to yeah, work. Yeah, Wednesday's going to be good, isn't it? <laughs> I really think Wednesday's going to be good. Um, so yeah, Collins against Jabir first up uh, on the order of play tomorrow. Just before I, I run through for you to tomorrow's matches uh, on Chateau, another couple of bits of business from today. Following up on. The story that we led with yesterday, Alexander Zverev losing his match to, to Yannick Sinner, coming into press afterwards saying he had a, a fever and was struggling for, for breath, a tight chest. Um, 
we heard the news sort of late this afternoon. He posted on his Instagram stories a photo of a doctor's certificate showing that he had received a COVID test and had tested negative, um, which is such a relief. I mean, I, I can't imagine the relief that certain people have have felt. I mean, if I were Yannick Sinner, I'd be immensely relieved. Um, for me, it doesn't doesn't really change anything other than I'm I'm pleased for for people's health. I would not to be a total bore about it, but I would hope that he realizes that this doesn't a hundred percent mean that he doesn't have COVID nineteen. He still needs to remain in self isolation if indeed he is in self isolation because we've had no no word that he is and that that worries me. Um and yeah, he has to continue continue to be tested. Um which again we've we've heard nothing to that effect, but I certainly hope that both those things are the case. Mm. Yeah, well absolutely right. Um uh, it's good that they they actually did this though. That A they got the test and B they got the results of the test out there so that at least we are not left thinking he just has walked off into the sunset without thinking twice about it. Um, so that's good. Um, but, but, you, but you're right. I think I still feel like there's a bit of a disconnect here in terms of fully appreciating the potential and, um, and, and the, the unanswered questions that, that remain. But um, anyway, that's, uh, that's that. Let's hope that Yannick Sinner has not been infected and, uh, and can carry on and play Rafael Nadal tomorrow night. Yeah, because that match is fifth on Philippe Chatry tomorrow, Nadal against Sinner. Five matches scheduled for that court. We know they'll all get played because of the reef. I know you, you said, David, via Russell, that glorious sunshine is predicted. That is not on the BBC forecast that I am seeing. No, not tomorrow, um, the day after. Right, OK. It was just a grey cloud on that day for me. Yeah. That's what counts as glorious. Glorious sunshine. Everything, okay. Everything's relative. <laughs> <laughs> so tomorrow's sort of play, it starts with Jabir against uh, Daniel Collins. Then it's Elena Svitolina against the world number 131. Nadia Podoroska. I saw a really nice uh, Instagram post by Gabriella Sabatini about Podoroska today. I, I, I don't know, but I have to assume that Sabatini would be some kind of um, hero or at least person that that Podoroska would have looked up to. So that was um, that was really heartwarming. Diego Schwartzman then against Dominic Team, And I think that could be the um, the uh, embouteillage, as the French would say, in the schedule tomorrow. Um, yeah, the tra- that mean? Uh, traffic jam. Bottleneck oh. traffic jam. Right, thing yes. that thing that means that Rafael Nadal and Yannick Sinner don't play until about midnight, uh, because even after Schwartzman team, it's Sviontek, Trevisan, thank you, Francesco, and then it's uh, Sinner Nadal. So instead of uh, match predictions, I'm going to ask you for time time the play <laughs> will finish tomorrow predictions. I'm going Matt to is go... doing um, maths on his hands. I'm going to go with one a.m. 1am, up with the partridge. Matt? 12.30am. Right. You? Hang on, is this French time or UK time? Yeah, yeah. French time. French, French time. time. I'm going to go for 1.30am. 
I think Team Schwartzman could really embouteillage things up tomorrow. <laughs> I really do. Now that I know what it means, so do I. <laughs> um, any upsets? What do you think? Is Iga Schwartzman going to win? And is is she is she a favourite for the title? Uh, yes, yes, well, she's going to win, but I don't think she's the favourite for the title. I think Kenin, yeah. Kenin? Over, more than Kvitova? Yeah, I mean, as I said, it, it it feels like a redundant term, but I think just about I would, I think Kenin today found a gear that she's been looking for and a gear that's won her Grand Slam title this year. Um, but still, the best tennis I've seen all tournament is from Iga Svantec. So I can I can kind of understand why people are putting her up there, but you know there's there's a lot of tests to pass yet, and I feel like the story of this tournament so far is underestimate Martina Trevisan at your peril because she is beating just well everyone in front of her in various different styles and very very good players. So that's certainly certainly a match to watch. I think I think those last three matches, I mean all of them are great. Jabir Collins is a great start, but those. Those last three are particularly interesting, I think. Um, I'm interested whether the conditions favour Sinner a little bit against Nadal. Not not necessarily over Nadal, but in terms of who would choose to play in nighttime conditions out of them. I think Sinner would prefer that to Nadal. Nadal hasn't played in that slot yet. I don't, I don't know whether it's going to do anything to his ball bouncing off that surface. Um, and if I was having to pick an upset for tomorrow, which unfortunately I am... <laughs> I, I would probably go Schwartzman over team. I'm, I'm not. I'm mm. not convinced that will happen, but that that feels like the one that could be most likely to happen. Mm. Uh, we lost um, one uh, one remaining British uh, hope in the men's doubles today. Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury lost out uh, in the third round to Mate. Quarterfinals, Quarter, I think. Well, no, all the quarterfinals are on tomorrow. Ah, no, okay, there's two men's, two women's doubles quarterfinals. Yeah, quarterfinals lost out to Mato Pavic and Bruno Suarez uh, today, which means that Jamie Murray and Neil Skubski, the 13th seeds, are the last Brits standing in the competition and they face the defending champions tomorrow, Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mies of Germany, the eight seeds. That's first up on Suzanne Longlen at uh, 10 a.m. UK time tomorrow. Uh, any other business? Any more for any more? How many whiskeys have you had, David? You're not being nearly fun enough. Oh, thanks This is not, I mean, two beers law is greater than two whiskeys law on this evidence. Okay, I'll work, I'll work this is, on my This is a lower level of bunctiousness than regular law, I would say. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> I mean, you're just being sort of, you're being fine. It's all, it's all fine, but it's not raucous. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, for the after party. Raucous in my Maybe that's for the so after party. So. Right then, uh, Cam <laughs> is our mascot for the French Open. Um, it's been at least three days since we've had fresh Cam content, so I feel like it's okay for me to appeal for more because I can't get enough. He's already done two Hollywood I know, shorts. and I love, I love it so much. <laughs> I really, really love it. <laughs> the storytelling is incredible it's, in those it's videos. Im- truly immense. Yeah, it's, I mean, 
yeah, it's probably too much to ask for. I understand that. Um, but it would be a gift because uh, Cam is lovely. Another photo would be nice. Yes, just, just, a, just a photo or an album of some sort, a selection of photos, <laughs> a triptych. The dog's brought out its own album. <laughs> anything. We will take anything gladly from Cam because he's great. And we'll be back for another tennis podcast tomorrow. We will speak to you then. 